0: In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might permit no one to go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, There is a covenant between me and you, as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending to you silver and gold. Go, break your covenant with Baasha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadad listened to king Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel. And they conquered Ijon, Dan, Abel, Ma'im, and all the store cities of Naphtali. And when Baasha heard of it, he stopped building Ramah and let his work cease. Then king Asa took all Judah And they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber, with which Baasha had been building. And with them he built Geba and Mizpah. At that time Hanani the seer came to Asa king of Judah and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet, because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in the stocks in prison, for he was in a rage with him because of this. And Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. The acts of Asa, from first to last, are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the thirty-ninth year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet, and his disease became severe. Yet even in his disease he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from the physicians. And Asa slept with his fathers, dying in the forty-first year of his reign. They buried him in the tomb that he had cut for himself in the city of David. They laid him on a briar that had been filled with various kinds of spices prepared by the perfumer's art, and they made a very great fire in his honor. Well, let us ask God to bless his word read and preached. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. It is, again, something we need to be reminded of, that we are not dealing with the mere words of men, but the word of God, and to be those who tremble at your word for those of the people that you will look upon with favor. For we are not here for idle treatment of your word, but with soul-searching, intent to know that you are God and you are in our presence. Bless us now to that end, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, this week, uh, my son's soccer coach sent to the team parents a video of a student athlete at Trinity Western University who uh, was speaking about an eating disorder they had that developed uh, because of uh, intense desire to be at the so-called top of their game, and this eating disorder uh, took place uh, whereby you know every calorie, so to speak, was counted and it got to the point where it was so excessive that the player ended up uh, passing out and needing medical treatment. Now, what was interesting was the fact that this was a male student-athlete who was a soccer player at Trinity Western. But more to the point, uh, this was sent to a a group of parents who ostensibly were not Christians as far as I'm aware. And I, I know most of them. They may not be highly antagonistic to the faith, but I'm fairly certain most of them are not Christians. Now, in the video, the young man actually credits God specifically with helping him to get over this problem that he had. This was not a self-help video. This was not a video of, of all sorts of ruminations on the things that he could do to get through this. It was a video that was so explicitly and powerfully a work of God in his life, and yet it was sent to, uh, as I said. Now, what was interesting were the responses to the video. And instead of the natural response that I was thinking is, praise God, who delivered this young man from the bondage of idolatry of body, the responses were, as followers, it is important to love yourself for who you are. Well, uh It may be true that you need to love the way that God has made you, but that wasn't the point of the video. That wasn't the point the young man was making. And you see, this is what the world will do. They will try to to push God away from being the one who actually is a strong support to those who are in need. And what's even more shocking is that Christians can fall into this trap as well. They can rely upon the world, upon the philosophies, upon the medicines, upon all of these things, and shut God out from their problems. King Asa is a salient example of this very problem because he was not a bad king. He was not a bad king who starts out poorly, ends poorly, and you say this was a bad time for Israel. He was by and large a good king. He is a king that is remembered well. He is a king who in the previous chapter he does well, he trusts God, the prophet speaks to him of good things. He is a good king who did not finish his life particularly well. Now I believe he finished his wife his life in the Lord, but nevertheless. He didn't finish well. And this can happen to Christians. They can escape as by the flames, but they are severely tempting the Lord with the way in which they finish their life. Now, what was the uh, problem? Well, the problem is, and just to give you a little bit of a quick Old Testament history lesson, there's the, the, the nation of Israel, we sort of speak in general terms, but then it's separated because of the Kings, and it goes back to Solomon and Sin and all those things. So you have the northern kingdom Israel, the southern kingdom Judah. Now, these two kingdoms are not friends, even though they are technically brothers, to put it in a sort of colloquial way, they're brothers, they are not friends. And the northern kingdom Israel has uh, the alliance they've made with Syria. So you see that in the first few verses that there is Ben-Hadad, king of Syria. He lived in Damascus. Now, he was in uh, alliance with Israel, and that was keeping uh, trade and religious pilgrims and others from going into Judah, the southern kingdom. That was a problem for Judah. So what does the king of Judah, Asa, do? He seeks out the help of Gentiles. That is to say, the southern kingdom, Judah, King Asa, looks to Gentile help. But what's interesting is the help he goes to is the king who is already in alliance with Israel. So imagine the king of Judah saying, you know what, I need to get this fortress that's being built destroyed so that I can have trade come into Judah and we can have prosperity. What will I do? In the past I've relied upon God, but what will I do in the present? And this is his answer. He says, I know what I'll do in the present. Instead of relying upon God as I have done in the past, and he has delivered me from the Ethiopians and others in remarkable ways, I'm actually going to rely upon a pagan king from Syria who is in alliance with the northern kingdom. Because surely if this king of Syria can actually break his alliance with Israel, he would never do that to me. And you see, he goes and takes the special belongings of the temple that had been dedicated to God, the gold and the silver, things that were dedicated to God, and gives things that were dedicated to God to a Gentile king to try and get help. Now I'm trying to set this up because it's so unbelievable that this good king would revert from trusting in the Lord to now trusting in a pagan king and using things that have been devoted to God to buy an alliance and then thinking that that alliance with the Syrian king is actually going to prove to be a long-term success. For lack of a better word, the king has gone absolutely stark raving mad. And this becomes a problem, you see, because a prophet enters onto the scene. Hanani. And when the prophet enters the scene, he doesn't speak things that King Asa wants to hear. So, in verse 7, notice what ends up happening. The seer, it's an old word for prophet, comes to Asa, king of Judah, and says to him, because you relied on the king of Syria, because you have put your trust in the arm of flesh instead of the arm of God, and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of of Syria has escaped you. In other words, that alliance that you temporarily had that may have appeared to give you some success is no longer going to work out for you. Not only that, you're going to have wars for the remainder of your life. And notice, he reminds him of God's past faithfulness to him in the midst of his faithlessness. Were not, verse 8, the Ethiopians and the Libyans, a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yes, they were. And what did God do? God delivered them. yet, because you relied on the Lord, He gave them into your hand. Asa, in the past, you... relied on god and god delivered you in the present you are relying now on the arm of flesh and god has given you up what you have done is quite foolish and then there's this delightful verse in the midst of this chapter this delightful verse in verse 9 for the eyes of the lord now what does that have to do with what's going on well Notice how this verse unfolds. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. This is lovely language. You could just say God is omniscient. Well, that is true. Notice the way in which it's put. His eyes are running to and fro throughout the whole earth. What does it mean when His eyes run to and fro? Well, in the Old Testament, this language of eyes and and God's eyes actually has to do with the fact that He sees all things, but not as man sees all things. God sees all things as only God can see all things. That is, God sees the heart. And why is it important that God sees not as man sees, but as God sees? Because God treats those whom He sees with a blameless heart in a very unique way. And Asa has given up that privilege. Notice what is said. His eyes that see all things go throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward Him. Now, Let me say something by way of an established biblical fact. God is the providential God. God sees all things and He actually gives support to all of His creatures. It could be a fly. It could be a giraffe. It could be a bird. It could be a fish. There is not a creature in this world that is not being supported by the providential hand of God. God supports all of His creatures. But that's not what this verse is actually highlighting. This verse is highlighting in the context of chapter 16 that God in the past had given remarkable support to this king. And why was that? Because this king was blameless toward God. So... You could say, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give support to all creatures. And that would be a theologically correct statement, but that's not what verse 9 is saying. It is saying strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward Him. Most of us here know the promise of Romans 8.28. Please, please tell me you do. Come on. Otherwise that's I'm done. God works all things together for good. To everyone, to those who love Him, to those who love Him. And Psalm 147, go back and read Psalm 147 and notice it's not just a psalm and it's a glorious psalm of God's providence. But it's a psalm of God's providence that can be only truly appreciated if you look at those verses by those who are upright in heart, by the godly, by the faithful. They are the ones who truly understand that God's support is not just there for every creature, but that God's strong support is there for those who are blameless. And Asa has lost that promise. And people start in different ways exchanging the strong support of God for anyone or anything else. When I was in Manila, I went uh, on a little tour to the Spanish part of the city to uh, Fort uh, Santiago and um, really fascinating history of the war. And there was this uh, cathedral in Manila and it was bombed during the war by the Americans and they put it back together and it's stunning inside. And on the outside there's this Latin phrase and I was with my friends and they were like, oh good, you can read to us this phrase. And if anything you don't want to have to do when you're on a holiday is uh, translate things into foreign, that are in foreign languages to people who are going, come on now, tell us what it is. But the writing over the cathedral say, says, we consecrate to your immaculate heart and entrust to you for safekeeping. God? No. Mary? She had her statue right beneath. She is the subject of the Latin, whereby they are asking to consecrate to her her Immaculate Heart that they would be kept safe. And really, that's just a very obvious way, and we are a bit more subtle than that, in which people will look to other people, other things, for care, for support, for protection, instead of God. Because here, you see that God is concerned not just simply to promise you his support, but to promise you his support to those who are blameless in heart. And that's where we give up. Stuff that. I just want His support. I'm happy with His support. But God is offering strong support to those who are blameless in heart. And that's because God alone has the eyes to see who are the blameless in heart. So His eyes are going to and fro throughout the whole earth and the the world is so big. When you fly 14 hours over water, just water, I mean, you get a little bit of Vancouver Island on your way out and then it's water. You don't get the window seat. You don't want to look out for 14 hours at the water. And you see, wow, I've only got a little bit around the earth and we're still not even close. It's a big, big world. And yet, to God, the world is like a little marble in His hand. And His eyes going to and fro is just a poetic way of saying He sees all things. He knows all things. But He doesn't just see all things and know all things. He is examining all things. That's the difference. And He's examining all things to see who can He give His strong support to. Not just His support, but His mesmerizing support. Whereby you are blown away by the strength of what God alone is able to to do now some of you very helpful to me uh, we had one young man in the church good guy he uh, very good with computers so there's chat GPT It's a, it's the artificial intelligence thing that is now causing a massive scene in the world because we're just not sure where this thing's going to go. You know, it's passed the bar exam. It's also past the medical exam. It's pretty smart and it's just going to, who knows what's going to happen. It may come to absolutely nothing or it may mean that you're going to go and uh, speak to a computer one day about your symptoms and get taken care of and we won't have a need for physicians anymore. I don't know what's going to happen. We may not even need pastors, because this person asked, why write a practical application for Christians on Second Chronicles 16.9 from the Bible in the style of Pastor Mark Jones? And it did, to some degree. Shall I read it? Does that count for me doing sermon prep if I read you? Well, tell me if this sounds like Pastor Mark Jones. I was I was actually quite thankful because Gary Vanderveen had asked about Puritan experts, and I got in on the list. So I was initially very upset with ChatGPT, but then they put me on the list, and I was like, "All right, I'll let it go this time." But I'm warning you, ChatGPT. So what's the style? Well, this verse reminds us of the ever-present nature of God and His watchful eye over us. Yes, absolutely. It also reminds us of the importance of having a pure heart before Him. Yes, that's what I've been saying. One practical application of this verse is to use it as a reminder to always be mindful of our actions and thoughts, knowing that God is always watching. Yes, that's what I've been saying. This can help us to strive to live a blameless life pleasing to God. I can't disagree with this computer. Additionally, it's a working computer too. See that? Additionally, we can take comfort in knowing that God is always there to give us strong support in our times of need. Let us always strive to have a blameless heart before God and trust in His watchful care and support. May God bless you all, Pastor Mark Jones. Ah, <laughs> Now that's when you know that wasn't me. I don't none of this may God bless you all Pastor Mark Jones your loving pastor. No we we know that's not my style. So that's where I knew something fishy was going on. But you see this is the problem with actually a lot of preaching. And what is that problem? The problem isn't that truth is being conveyed. That was true. There's nothing wrong there. The problem is that it was, in a sense, lifeless. It's true, but how do we know that God is really a strong support to me and to you? What happens in this world that a computer can't tell me? I'll tell you something that happens. Young man goes onto a soccer pitch. He's got his jewelry on. You know, these boys wearing their silver necklaces and their earrings and this and that. And so the referee says, hey, you can't wear that jewelry. So what do they do? They come running over to the sideline. Coach, can you hold my silver necklace? Oh, come on, man. Fine. Put it in my pocket. Got the silver necklace in my pocket. Game ends. Do you think the young man, being a responsible human being, comes to me and says, thank you so much, coach, for holding my silver necklace. Could I please have it back? And I say, oh, thank you. Yes, here you go. Now, that doesn't happen. They go off. They're looking for a girlfriend. Their, their mom's saying, let's go. We got to go. Who knows what happens? So I'm stuck in my pocket with a silver necklace that happens to be a gift from his beloved grandfather. What's the big deal? Well, the silver necklace goes home, and then it ends up here, and it ends up there. And we say, oh, there's Thomas's silver necklace. And then uh, we go, well, we should get that back to him. And then maybe one of the kids decides to put it on and wear it on a date. And then he comes home. And we say, oh, there's Thomas's necklace. What should we do? Well, well. Eventually get it to school, and then it's here or there. And eventually, one day, it comes where Katie puts the silver necklace in the bag and takes it to school. And I am working hard at home with chat GPT, <laughs> sermon prep, minding my own business. And I get the text, Dad. Now, whenever there's a dad and that's it, you just go, oh, What? What? Dad, I've lost the necklace. (laughs) How did you lose the necklace? It was in your bag. I dropped you off at school. You walked to the school. Did you check the parking lot? Yes, I checked the parking lot. Did you check the bag? Are you sure you checked the bag? Long story short, there's no sign of this thing, but... I've got this new problem. When something like that happens, I can't focus then on anything else. So I'm walking around the house, looking in the places I was told to go and look, but praying and saying, Lord, I know You can help me find this necklace. In fact, You can do anything to help me find this necklace. I do not want to deal with my daughter knowing she's lost this silver necklace of a young man at school whose grandfather gave him that. I just don't want the stress. Please. Please, Lord. Prayed and prayed and prayed. Couldn't find the necklace. And then I even was like, Katie, are you sure you haven't found it? I've been praying. I believe in my prayers. No. So I'm like, I'm going to school. I'm going to pick them up. I'm going to look in that parking lot. I'm walking around the parking lot like this, looking for the necklace. I don't find it. So I give up. We go home. We're sitting at home, minding our own business. But Josh has a basketball game at 6 p.m. Do I need to go? No. But you know what? It gives me another chance to go back to the school and look. So my daughter gets in the car with me. We go back to the school at 6 p.m. Who hangs out at the school at 6 p.m.? It's just a bunch of basketball players. We go looking upstairs. There's the drama room. I ask the janitor, can you let me in? I think we've lost the necklace in there. Sir, let me in. Go look. It's nowhere to be found. We walk here. We walk there. We go downstairs. Walking to the gym, two young boys walk right past. And Katie goes, that kind of looks like the necklace that Thomas had. She's like, but it's not his. I'm like, oh no, I'm going go walking over to that boy. Listen, did you find a necklace today? He's like, yes! It was on the floor. So you put it on. Yes, he put it on. At 6 p.m., some reason he was still at the school walking past in a direction where my daughter's eyes glanced over at that moment, saw a necklace, thought it might look like it. I go over. I'm so happy. I say, I'll give you a thousand bucks. I don't give him a thousand dollars. I buy him something from the vending machine. The athletic director comes out and says, you shouldn't have rewarded him. He should have handed the necklace in. I says, listen, if you knew how happy I was after all the praying I've just done. And that occurred to me that God can take something like a little hole in a bag that the necklace somehow managed to wiggle its way out in the morning on the way to class and cause a text saying, Dad, to prayers, to looking, to searching, to saying, Lord, I know you can help us to find this, to a boy for some reason still at the school at 6 p.m. walking by and a glance and you find the necklace. And the point is to say, chat GPT can't tell you that. You can't live the Christian life by sheer information. It has to be the experience of God helping with His strong support. And some people, sadly, live a Christian life without ever experiencing the joys of what it is for God to strongly support them. He is a strong support, Asa. You knew He was and you gave up on that God who strongly supported you. And you're trusting in a pagan king instead. So what ends up happening? Does his life get better? You read on, he gets a bad foot disease. He's been cruel to his people. He throws the prophet in jail because he knows, I think deep down inside, that that prophet spoke the truth to him. But he lashes out. The prophet was not guilty of what I was talking to the Thursday night Bible study people about of what's called toxic empathy. Toxic empathy is where you know you, you come alongside someone and you know the path and the course they're on is one of destruction. It's going to harm them. It's going to hurt them. But because you want to remain their friends and you want them to like you, you allow them to continue in a path that you know is wrong because you want to show empathy, but it's toxic empathy because it's harming them and not helping them. But the prophet comes and he tells Asa the truth. He ends up in jail. Asa ends up with a foot disease. And he goes to the physicians. And it's not so much that he went to the physicians, it's that he went to the physicians apart from any consideration of God. And what would have happened if the physicians had cured his foot disease? Who would have got the glory then? The physicians. So sometimes God can even take people who are doing a good job, people who are very skilled, and not allow success because you have gone to them in the first place, in the immediate place, in the principal place, and not to God. So why would God then allow His glory to be shared? Anasa ends up dying. Not trusting the Lord as he had in the past. And that does show you, does it not? You know, you young people think, yeah, Pastor Mark, sometimes hard on us, isn't he? Prays for us more than others because he knows we're trouble and we've got a lot of difficulties and temptations. Okay, young people, you're off the hook this morning. This is for the elderly. And if you don't know if you're elderly, just take it. Just because you've run a good race for 60 years doesn't mean that you can take your foot off the gas. This king was a good king and he stopped trusting the Lord in his later years. He gave up the good race. Did he escape by by the flames? I believe so. But that doesn't mean that the Christian life ever allows you the opportunity to stop trusting the Lord. In fact, the trust may need to be more intense later on than earlier on. Such is the way of God's providence. It's a salient reminder. You must always trust the Lord because then He will be a strong support to you. Then I want you to notice one other thing. Who is the most blameless? If this is a promise of strong support, who is the most blameless in heart to have ever lived? You have our Lord Jesus Christ. Was God a strong support to Him? You have Peter preaching in Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and I could have gone to a hundred different verses, I assure you, but this one really struck me because Peter is preaching and I think it really brings out verse 9 in a very unique way. He says, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs. Did he receive strong support from God? Yes, he did mighty works and wonders and signs. And God was so supportive of Him that Peter says that God did these things through Him. That God was supporting Christ so much that He did these miracles through Him in your midst as you yourselves know. You know that God was with Him. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end with the glory of miracles and power and esteem. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, the providential God whose eyes run to and fro the whole earth, looking to strongly support those who are blameless before Him. Jesus Christ, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And the question is, was God as strong in His support of Jesus Christ on the cross as He was when He was walking on the waves of the sea? You have your answer in verse 24. If God strongly supports the blameless in heart, what should we expect to a man who dies on a cross? We have the answer. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Why? Because God strongly supported Christ in the most remarkable way that you could ever be supported God brought back resurrection life, powerful life to Christ, and is supporting Him now enthroned in the heavenly places. That's the support that God is going to offer. Not just an answered prayer here and there, but strong support is taking your bodies and glorifying them so that you will have glorified resurrection bodies like Christ if you love Him. If you trust Him. You cannot lose by God. The only way you can lose by God is by forsaking God yourself and trusting in an arm of flesh and see where that will lead you. You cannot, you cannot lose to the one who has promised to be a strong support to you in every area of your life. As he was for Christ, so he shall be for us. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we pray for this strong support, but we know that it will mean that we must be blameless before You. And to be blameless before You, O Lord, we must begin with repentance and faith, continue with repentance and faith, and ask that true repentance would lead to true godliness. Not just forsaking and hating our sin, but living unto godliness as we become more and more like Christ and so receive the promises that were given to Him and now given to us, for we belong to Him. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.